to the fifth episode of The Cross-Curricular Dance Teacher. I'm Maria Craig Gibson, and this is part two of three of Asian American Pacific Islander educators being interviewed for the month of May. In this episode, I get to sit down with one of my UCO teachers, He Cha Poos. I reference her often because she, along with all of the UCO faculty, has made such an impact on myself as a human, as an educator, and as a dancer. I don't know if the dance community in Oklahoma would exist if it wasn't for teachers like He Cha at UCO. I've never sat with He for longer than five minutes before we dive into something beyond small talk. So this episode actually abruptly starts because He Cha was just peacefully eating her dinner before we started recording. And she gets into this conversation about her grad school experience and the impact her grad school experience had on what it means to be a good teacher. So please enjoy this abrupt start to our episode. Oh, you want to start? Oh, no. Tell me more about how grad Yes, oh. we started. And uh, tell me more about how grad school um, changed I, your perception. Because I think that before grad school, I had this idea of what it meant to be a, a good teacher. Yes. And it was about just... I think sharing as much information as, as I had with the students and making sure that they understood and learned exactly what I had taught them. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, uh, grad school is kind of like, when you're growing up in, in, in primary and secondary school, you're kind of delivered. Here's, here's the information, here's mm-hmm. what you need to learn. Okay, you've gotten it, go to the next chapter, yada, yada, yada. And in high school, there's not a whole lot of, what do you think about it? How do you feel, right? So. When, when you're in grad school, it's a little bit more like, okay, well, you know, here's your, here's your packet and here's the island you're going to land on. Let's get yourself out. Mm-hmm. And I found out so much about myself um, having that experience, not having, not having everything handed to me, not mm-hmm. having all the information fed to me. And it, and from you know I'm, I don't have a PhD, but I know a lot of stu- a lot of um, people who have completed their PhD, and it, it's even more of that sense. So you really do find out who you are, what you know, what you're made of, and um, it's it's got to be organic in a sense because you won't do that work that amount of work unless you're interested in it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's got to be authentic. I thought about okay, well. You know, in college, even as a freshman, even in, in beginning classes, don't those students deserve to the the opportunity to get to know themselves as well? Mm-hmm. So, what can I offer in my classes that aren't so much just here's what it is, you're gonna do it, I'm gonna you know make sure that you do it correctly, and let's move on. Right. So, uh, it it changed kind of the way a that I see everybody individually in in their learning path, but also b how I as a teacher deliver that information and what I am expecting to see from it. Um, and how do I assess, okay, they got the most out of this class. 
And, and I've never had a student tell me, hey, I really appreciated you because you were the hardest teacher and you just made me feel terrible every single day and you made me feel inadequate and you just were really hard on me. I didn't, I didn't have that student. Mm-hmm. I had students who, and I've been teaching for a long time, so it's been, you know, but I've had students say, you know, I feel really seen in your class or I feel like you um, really reached every one of us in our different ways, or I feel like you pushed us, like, don't get me wrong, I'm a hard teacher, but you pushed us, but you did it in a way that we could reach it and and grew our efficacy, which is, I think, the way that I want to teach. Absolutely. Unpopular opinion, I think all teachers should have a minimum of a master's. That's I know that sounds elitist, but, and, and I think that it should be, um, like there should be a pathway to it. Like I went to college to become a teacher and I got my bachelor's. And while I was in the public school arena, I still am in there. What am I talking about? One of my evaluations could say, this is an excellent teacher candidate that we want to keep around. Mm -hmm. So to keep her around, let's us invest in her master's degree Mm -hmm. so that she could be one, a stronger teacher with more support systems Mm -hmm. and two, cater to this teacher's evolution into their next, you know, the better version of their teaching. Because yes, I was a great teacher my first year, but I wasn't to my full potential. I wasn't into my full potential really until I went to my master's program because I had more support and I had this excellent reflection of like, oh man, I am doing great, but also I'm doing harm. Mm-hmm. You can do better. Yeah. Yeah. There's, well, and there's, I think evolution exists in education Mm -hmm. that is um more so than probably any other industry because they they have to stay so proactively engaged and changing and psychology is not a set deal edu you know uh, educational psychology for instance is not something that doesn't change it changes all the time so one of the things i was most impressed with in the in the graduate experience was I expected it to be, you know, how can we get the most out of the student and how can we, you know, foster these students who are out accomplishing everything we need them to. It was it was 75 percent. How can we understand the student better? Yes. And what can we do to facilitate an an environment that's safe for them? Yeah. And so then when I come out of that experience and I and I'm around other teachers nobody specific but mm-hmm. other teachers who have not been in that yes it's it's a it's a two very different worlds and so that would be cuz i i push back a little bit on what you say because yeah. i had a great mentor who's passed away but i, I had a conversation with him, him one time and we were talking about teachers and i think i was complaining that some teacher you know was teaching a class and couldn't count to 8 and i was <laughs> i was just like what are they doing and he said to me, you know, uh, I have had three different types of teachers in my life, and they were all wonderful, and none of them were exactly the same. Right. In dance, in particular. So I had the type of teacher who was just an incredible dancer mm-hmm. that I couldn't take my eyes off of them, and I needed to do exactly what they were doing. So I mimicked, and I learned from them. They were still my teacher. Mm-hmm. And then there was the, the choreographer, who maybe didn't move their bodies much, but they could get everything they wanted out of me. 
because they knew exactly how to say it. Mm -hmm. And then there was the educator. And so ever since that conversation with him, I think about, okay, am I being biased? And and nine times out of ten, I am, because that's just the world that I come from. Mm -hmm. So I've had a couple of run-ins with people who have been insecure about their teaching, and I just kind of want to go, you're okay, as long as you're able to communicate and you get something out of that student, you're still a teacher, right? And, and give care. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And not do harm. Yes. The goal is to not do harm. It's just like when you're a parent and you're like, yeah. okay, my goal for the next 18 years is to not do harm. Right. <laughs> that, I mean, that's the same for students. You don't want to do harm. I don't want to. I sometimes, like, because on Facebook, sometimes there will be a post and it's like, okay, this person did this and that. And I'm always like, oh my God, was that me? Did I do, I have, please tell me I didn't. Yeah. And I, I, I think back and hope, cause we all say things mm-hmm. and there was a time, uh, you know, not too long ago that we were f- f- saying things without, without thinking about the effect. Mm-hmm. So I hope, I really, really hope I didn't do damage and if I did I, I, I'm very sorry for it but I think the only thing really I can do is keep trying to learn and keep trying to improve Segway. yeah tell us everything you want to tell us about you um let's see that was actually your introduction yes <laughs> we just dove right in right <laughs> so I'm a mom first and my 18 year old is getting ready to graduate high school which again, um, I don't think I did too much harm, so that's great. And then my daughter is gonna be a senior in college next year. Already? Yes, yeah. Oh my gosh. And I'm pretty proud of who they are as citizens in the world. And then I would say next I'm a teacher. Um, This is my 20th year at UCO. And then all the things in between, you know, daughter, sister, girlfriend, Started, uh, so I founded Race Dance Collective, as you know, 14, 15 years ago, 14 years ago. And I'm just now running the academy, which has been incredible. I didn't think I was going to do it because I don't teach kids, kids really anymore. So they're kids from 13 to 18. And I, th- I was going to do it in the interim and just hand it over to someone. And I can't do that. I've completely fallen in love with these kids and it's the perfect it's the amount of time that I want to dedicate and you know I'm still very much a part of that organization but there are other goals that I have that I could not do while still you know helping to run the company so and also I've done the things for so many years that I and then there is growth that happens when you run an organization or when you produce a show or when you and I feel like there are so many wonderful people that are more than capable and ready to step into those roles that it I just knew it was time to turn it over and I felt really confident in who could do it and so it feels great to know that it's in better hands and that it's going to move forward successfully um what else so as of Probably the last three years, I've become kind of a movie producer (laughs) (laughs) with uh, with a a few other local um, movie producers and directors. How did that happen necessarily? Like, was it because of current events or was it just... No, yeah, it was completely because of COVID. So I had choreographed a couple of films with my friend Lance McDaniel Mm -hmm. dating back five years ago. And then COVID happened. We knew we weren't going to be able to do Hip Hop Nutcracker. 
and I was casually chatting with him one day and I was like, you know, you could just make a movie and we were just chatted about it. And I was thinking really in my head, I was like, okay, he's going to just grab, bring, bring a camera to a, a place and we'll just film it. And fast forward, you know, six months later and many meetings later, it's a full feature film. And we were able to do it during COVID. We were able to pay like 80 something dancers, 13 choreographers, and keep everyone safe because we, we didn't have more than, I don't think, like 15 people at a time in a place. And everybody had COVID tests, and it was the real deal. After that, and I cast, you know, all of the dancers and many of the leads as well. And he was like, you're really good at casting. So I'm, I really have loved it. So I've done a few movies since then. I'm actually working on one now that's going to be shooting in a couple of weeks. So That's so exciting. Yeah. It's a completely different world, and it's fun to delve in it. Like, I don't think I would want to do it all the time, but I love playing in that, in that yeah. world. Just like I love playing in music theater. You know, I'm... Um, just had a meeting with Ashley Wells for Kinky Boots uh, this summer at Lyric Theater. It's my first uh, main stage show at the Civic Center. And I remember when Lyric was at OCU, when it was on campus, and I was about 12 years old, my family friend took me to a Lyric show. I couldn't tell you what show it was, but I can tell you I watched it just with my eyes open wide and my mouth wide open because I couldn't remember. I was like, how are these people doing this magical stuff? Like it was just, I was in awe. So to be able to say that I get to choreograph on the main stage this year is just, it's a dream. It really is. That is so awesome. I'm yeah. so happy for you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. We've I'm been... so glad that you were able to shift your roles mm-hmm. at race to open up all these opportunities to give you more time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, I wanted to, I gave them a, a few years of saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. And they, of course, have been nothing but supportive. Um, I kind of feel like, their fa- well, I know that they're family, but it it seems like kids that are going go do the thing, mom. Go go figure it Aww. out. You know what I mean? Yeah, it feels, I mean, it feels really, very supportive in that way. I I say we. I'm not. I know I'm not a part of the community. I believe like anybody in Oklahoma dance community is related to you by one degree of separation. <laughs> you either have taught them directly, or they are a student of one of your students. That's fair to say. So yeah. I, I, I believe that you have nurtured us in a way that, yes, like race and race leadership would be like, Mom, it's okay. You can leave <laughs> us alone now. Like, yeah. G- go. Yeah. 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 I, I totally see that. Oh, and every once in a while I look at what they're doing and I'm like, dang, that's just incredible. It's it's amazing. It's And it feels really good to say to because to, I think I you know I think that's the mistake some people do is they, they hold on to it and they have to watch it kind of fizzle and I I, I let it go so that it could fly yeah. and it's flying and it's so impressive to see and Brandy and Chris and Sherry and they're taking it and they're making uh, ma- they're making it 10 times bigger than I could have even dreamed that's which beautiful. is really incredible to see I love that yeah you have accomplished so much. What do you think is the driving force behind your determination? Hmm. 
I think so, you know, my father passed away, I guess it would be six years now. Wow. Yeah. So um, when I was growing up, we moved here when I was seven. My two brothers, my mom, my dad, and my, my grandmother, we moved in with my aunt who married my uncle who was in the military. I just remember my father... He worked really, really hard. My mom, of course, but she was a, a house. She was a housewife, and so she worked diligently at home. But I just remember my father every day for I don't know twenty something years would wake up at ten p.m. or something, go into the night shift, come home at six, go to sleep for. Yeah, I just I remember him working really, really hard. So working hard wasn't an, a new practice for anybody in our family. Also, my brother, my oldest brother, was on the Olympic Taekwondo team. I grew up really for the first ten years of my life. That was my role was being a cheerleader for him. Um, <laughs> my whole family, we'd all just go watch him in tournaments, and he was he was fighting nationally, collegiately, you know and was on the national team uh, back in the 80s, and also coached um, the national team for some time as well afterwards. So I think that sort of, I, I see in my, in my brother and my, my father what hard work is, but I see in my brother like what it takes to get to that next level. Yes. I didn't have any ambition to do anything until I found dance. When was that? Well, okay, so here's what I remember. This is so, so random, but in the sixth grade, Dr. Frida Jones, who actually was a professor at UCO, taught in the kinesiology department. She was our sixth grade PE teacher, and she, we were doing a demonstration of aerobics, and she did us, had us do a slow aerobic dance to the theme song of Hill Street Blues. And I still remember how it started, and I, and, but I remember doing the thing and practicing it and performing it. And I remember my body feeling so light. And I remember feeling like, ah, oh, this feels really, really good. This was sixth grade? Sixth grade. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then fast forward to the eighth grade, and I sneak out of my house to go and try out for cheerleading because my parents said no. And so I, there was something about the performative action of, of here's here's watch me do this thing, right? that I really enjoyed, but I don't think I found dance dance because then I cheered for a while, got on the cheerleading team, got a cheerleading scholarship, yada, yada, yada. But I found dance dance when I tried out for a basketball, like an, a CBA basketball team here in Oklahoma. And the coach of the team was like, hey, you should really, you should really do this thing. And um, so I tried out and I, I found it and I was like, okay. How old were you? 19. Okay. This was when I found my my calling. I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so I remember she, so she had a studio, CC Farha. Yes. Had a studio and she, and she would say, okay, just come to class. And she'd put me in whatever level, advanced level or something. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea that you had to like turn out or straighten your legs or yeah, I just was <laughs> dancing. I, I had taught myself Janet Jackson dances at home by myself. I didn't Dancing to me was innate, right? I didn't think you needed to be quote unquote trained in a studio for it. So I would, whatever we did in class. So Asian of you. That was so Asian. So Asian. So, Asian. <laughs> <laughs> so very Korean too. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm doing it wrong. What are you talking about? 
<laughs> dancing, aren't I? <laughs> so I would go home and work on it on my own body for th- three hours after I would learn the lesson because I knew I was late and I knew I needed to catch up. And so I went from there to, to college scholarship at UCO and then to dancing professionally in L.A. Okay. And then one day I was in L.A. dancing. I don't remember what job. And I remember going, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Oh, I loved it. It was fun, but it was fun. It wasn't like, ah, this is what I'm meant to do. Yeah. And I got that kind of meant to do feeling when I taught, when I was teaching master classes and when I got to know people and when I got to like, if I, anytime I would say something and they'd get it, it just, there was something about that, you know? Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I couldn't lie to myself mm-hmm. and be in a place like LA where it's so mm-hmm. expensive and hard. Yeah, you better want to be there. Exactly. And, and I was there and I was doing stuff and I was getting jobs, but it was not satisfying me in the, in the same way. Mm-hmm. Then we moved back and I, for a year I, I struggled because I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't. I had. I had this plan for seven years, you know. So, and then somehow I got to Douglas High School. Oh, Douglas. Oh, Douglas. Um, there was a woman named Marianne Shelley uh-huh. who was running the thing, and she yeah. just wanted to bring some people in, and she brought me in, and I. There were fifty kids in this class, and I fell in love with them, so and that's where Hip Hop Nutcracker came from. Carlos uh, from Carlos Robinson there. Then I went to OCU and taught for a couple of years, um, then moved to UCO, and I've been there ever since. So that's, in a nutshell, my history. But, you know, I will say what I remember about dancing, about movement and what it can bring to people, uh, is from ever since I was a little girl, my grandmother danced. I don't know if your if Filipino grandmothers danced, but mine did. Mm-hmm. And mine would... Uh, I think they would drink a little bit and gamble. Yeah. And then... A um, lot of it. Yeah. There was a, <laughs> there was a dance called the Adidang. And she, I remember watching her do it. And mm-hmm. I remember just... It was so beautiful because she was so free. And I think that I... And I forgot about that until I went to Korea in 2019. Yeah. I, for some reason, I, that connection didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so... There's, I think that that is my first interaction with what it looks like for somebody to be dancing freely mm-hmm. was her. That's beautiful. And she's my grandma. So. Yeah. So it's in my blood, basically. I love that. Yeah. I love that your grandma was demonstrating verve to you. She was. <laughs> she was. To be yeah. so free and energetically. Well, and we'd all watch her. It wasn't just me. It was her whole family. So she entertained us. Oh, yeah. She was like the Korean Isadora Duncan. She exactly. <laughs> exactly. But very drunk. The Korean Isadora Duncan. That's true. <laughs> she was at a party. We yeah. don't know if she was drunk or not. Yeah, no, I, I just little bits and pieces of my memory like that come mm-hmm. back. Two things. One, do you see that your father's work ethic? was that of an immigrant mm-hmm. or was that of him or were they both were those it's a good question synonymous i think my father he loved america yes. like we were not the korean family that came here to go to koreatown and hang out with koreans we were the korean family we were like okay we're here chuck norris is my favorite dude 
you're going to assimilate, you're going to become one of us, right? Yes. And so I think my father had a lot to prove, Mm -hmm. but he brought us here to provide for us a better life. So I think that's that was his motivation, mm-hmm. and I saw that because he and and I didn't find out until after he died that he would go in an hour early to set up his station every day that he worked, an hour early. And because he he, I do sometimes have tendencies <laughs> that I'm like, okay, I just I gotta squash that because it also I'm not at all. OCD or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. that tendency is, mm-hmm. except for some, like a few things. Yeah. And then I'm the other way on a lot of other things yeah. too. But I think that he had a few of those. He has to have things very set in, in particular, very particular, very, yeah. very particular. But also he was just dedicated. Like he cared about his station and he cared about his work. And I think that's where I get, like I, I treat, if I'm gonna do a master class at a middle school, that's just as important to me as a, a class for a college or a professional, like a class is a class. Right. I have a great deal of respect for the, the act of education. 100%. So. Also, I feel like you have to double down on your middle school preparation. Oh, heck. <laughs> it's no joke. <laughs> they are. You know, yeah. another bowl of energy. Yeah. yeah. Second part is, do you think witnessing that hard work of your father was something, it was almost as if you were, he was demonstrating to you appropriate behavior or acceptable behavior. You were like, okay, this is how we do it. Like you were mimicking that hard work and determination until you found what ignited your passion. Yeah. I mean, I, I think growing up, I, to be honest, I thought, like, why are you doing all that? <laughs> because I, I hadn't found anything to drive me yet. Mm-hmm. Of course, I wanted to please my parents, right. but I had, like, two really perfect brothers. They were doing the job. Oh, my God. They were doing the most, <laughs> and it was really annoying. And I had no, I mean, I was a C student, like, growing up. And you snuck out to try out for Well, tr- yeah. I mean, it was important to me. Mm-hmm. And I think... That tryout, when, and I made it, and I had to come home and be like, okay, I made this team, and now you owe me $1,000 because I got to pay for uniform. Oh, anyway, my gosh. I, re- I think I discovered at that time, okay, if I want something, I'm going to probably go after it. I'm not, I'm not going to worry so much about myself, right? Mm-hmm. But I think my father, so my mom was raised in a Christian household. Mm-hmm. My father was Buddhist, mm-hmm. and he was not a man of words, like hardly any. Mm-hmm. And so I took an Eastern philosophy class in college, and I was like, ah, dang, that's my dad. Because it was all the isms, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, yeah. all of those things. And I didn't put the two and two together, but my dad was very much about, you know, turn the other cheek and be a good person and, you know, do unto your neighbors. He wasn't friendly, he wasn't um, warm, but he was good. And he was very quiet he didn't talk he okay i'm just gonna be straight he was not a huge fan of korean people um even though we're korean because he said that they talked too much they gossiped too much about each other and obviously he's had his own experiences and things he was dealing with but that was his that was his take on why we were removed Mm. and very much just submerged into this new culture Mm -hmm. and the other thing was he just always told us you're not going back we're not going back so you just need to be here. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. It's it, it gets a bit confusing, you know, because now my children, I, I didn't learn, I didn't practice the language. Mm-hmm. Um, I can speak to my mother, but only because we kind of have our own language. And I'm not blaming him, but I, I will say that there was no motivation from my family to continue the tradition of, right. of Korean culture. Fast forward, uh, 2019, I'm going back to Korea and I'm really nervous because I want to be accepted. And so I'm like on the Duolingo for six months trying to learn, you know, everything. Yeah. And because sometimes when I go here to like Korean restaurants or something, I attempt to speak and it, it's not always met with friendly feedback, right? Oh. But And it's okay. Yeah. But so I go back to Korea and I'm walking around and I'm trying to talk to people and every single person there is like, oh, you're, you're Korean because you're Korean. You don't need to prove anything to us. And you're great because you speak American too, so we can practice. Like, yeah. So it was this whole deal of going, okay, I had to go back to Korea to be accepted for who I am mm-hmm. as being this confused. I'm in this cross-culture of who am I? Well, I'm just who I am. Right. Right? So I am a Korean person who has adopted the culture of Oklahoma. Right. Right? <laughs> if you can yes. explain that to someone. I think I really needed to, at the age of 49, figure out that that's okay. That I don't have to prove myself to anybody. That somebody saying I'm, I don't speak Korean doesn't, doesn't make me not Korean. Absolutely. So it was, a good, it was a great education for me. I think that's so wonderful. Thank you. I have an acquaintance. It's probably a friend or a student for you because everyone's related to you. <laughs> um, and... He recently joined the Asian District Board. Steve? Yeah. Yeah. I love him. And I got to chat with him for a little bit about hopes and dreams Mm -hmm. for the district. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I would love to see is a cultural center where we could come and meet other people in our community. Yeah. Because... Growing up, I was the only yep. Filipino American in a sea of Caucasians. Yeah. So, because I went to a six A suburban school. Yeah. That it, culture of dominance was the rule. Yeah. I am just now. My mom returned to the Philippines last year, and I have to be able to handle her business mm-hmm. in the event she passes. So I'm like, oh my god, I gotta learn Tagalog. It's so it's the insecurity of mm-hmm. I will never be enough. So mm-hmm. yes, I agree. And also, who am I gonna practice with? Yeah. Because if you randomly practice, I agree, you'll be met with like, this is America. Yeah. Whereas if you were to go to like a cultural center and meet other Korean Americans and other Filipino Americans and you get to say, Hey, I kinda wanna try to learn my mother yeah. tongue. Would you be interested in practicing with me? Yeah. That would be really nice. Yeah. I think there are a lot of, honestly, there are a lot of schools that I've heard of, but they are more geared, I think, toward kids. Mm-hmm. So it'd be nice to have yeah. some adult, adult. classes. Yeah. yeah. We would really appreciate yeah. it. So somewhere in the universe, if you can make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that we're all shaped by our environment, who we see. Mm-hmm. I don't feel a deficit in, in not having... Um, necessarily Korean people in my life because I have my family right 
who's Korean. But I do sometimes wonder if I'm leaving things out that my children need. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. My daughter has said to me a few times, like, I wish you would have taught me Korean. Well, I wish someone taught me too. Right. So, <laughs> I, and I do have that, a little bit of that, uh, I wish, I wish, but uh, really, I think we can do is move forward yeah. and say, well, what can, can we take a cooking class together? Can we do something right. together? So, yeah. Wonderful. Now, time for something different. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to segue anything. What supports your classroom practices? As far as classroom practices, I feel like it's changed a lot. Yeah. You know, now in my 20th year, I uh, may not move as fast. <laughs> Still fast, but I, feel that. Um, but I think that I see the students a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea of individualized teaching and learning, I think in my younger teaching years was like, oh, come on. It, I mean, they just need to be able to do this to get to this next level. Mm-hmm. And now I see it. Now I kind of see more of, okay, well, what I say to this person is going to have to be completely different to this person. And what I see in this person as improvement looks really different on this other student. Yes. So on and so forth. I agree with that yeah. wholeheartedly. Yeah. I actually reached out to Brandy the other day because I – the other day, I mean, a couple months ago, I... What is time? <laughs> I don't know. I was like, man, I, I just feel like this student is not progressing. I don't know how to... Um, I don't know what to say to the student to make them show up in the dance classroom. Mm-hmm. And she said that what does growth look like to this part? Like, what does 10 more percent look like? I was like, oh. And, and when I spoke to that student directly, mm-hmm. it was 10 more percent growth. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is good. This yeah. is progress. And in listening to you talk, I also wonder if you would say when you see students now, would you say that you teach from a place of, of connecting to their humanity? 100% first. Yeah. Um, because I think there was a time when... I would see something, you know, a side eye or some somebody whispering. Because, you know, we all see, we see everything. Correct. And I think there was a time when I would have said, oh, well, that person doesn't like me or that, that student has a problem or, you know. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would take it as a personal attack. Right. And um, I've learned over the years that if, if I see something like that, nine times out of ten, I mean nine times out of ten, if I go to that student and say, hey, I noticed this today. And this is not like you or this is, you know, you're acting outside of yourself. Can you explain to me what goes with this action and maybe, you know, what's happening in your life and how can I help you? Nine times out of ten, it's something else. Yeah. A, they're not even aware that they did it. Or B, it's, I'm so sorry, I'm dealing with this right now and I didn't mean to -hmm. do that. So... I think if, if I could say anything to like new teachers, it would be if there's an issue or you, you sense something, because it really could be a perception mm-hmm. more than anything, is to go directly to that person privately after class and just say, hey, this is what I noticed, and I just want to check in and just make sure that there's not something I can help you with. Because, and if, they, and if you can't, you can't. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say the majority of the time, the student says, oh, well, thanks. I appreciate that you see me, and yes. here is the issue. And we can then go from there to solve 
whatever issues they're having or help in some way or just let them know that you see them and that you care. So how many students never feel like they're on their teacher's radar? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that rolls us into what supports your creative expression. Because I think that there's an interesting balance between being a creative expression teacher, right? You're an artist Mm -hmm. and also a teacher of artists. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that? Do you treat these things differently? Mm -hmm. I think this is really layered because creative expression is so layered. Um, You can look at it from a perspective of performance Mm -hmm. and how do you foster the kind of confidence and security in a person to be able to allow them the the kind of joy and and space to be able to express. And you do that by building a safe safe classroom Mm -hmm. and you do that by giving them um, specific uh, imagery or cues that they can follow and really it's about imagination and giving them permission to be childlike in that way. You could talk about it in a sense of dance making. And um, there are so many ways to make a dance. And I know that there are lots of different thoughts of process on this, but I feel like if you're making a dance, and you figure out a process for you to make that dance, then you've made the dance. Success! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. I just, we don't need necessarily to get so cerebral all the time. Yes. And I do get cerebral sometimes because I, I do really enjoy uh, research. Mm-hmm. And so I love researching a, a, a certain um, idea and then using that to make the dance. But at the end of the day, we're still like we're still making a dance. Yes. So I think um, creative expression with with yes, definitely tools for the toolbox, but not making the toolbox so heavy that people can't just play. Right. So and but um, we do. I do a lot of allowance for creative expression and for team building and community building while they're making it because that's when they generally learn how to work with each other. Creative expression as an artist to me means more than just dance making. It means what can you make that doesn't exist that can happen, like the Calderon Dance Festival, for instance. That that's yeah. that's the high, one of the highest forms of creative expression. In is, their right mind right now is like, you know what? <laughs> Let's put on a festival. <laughs> but are we busy? Let's put on a festival. <laughs> well, and, and I will say that race and the festival and things things that have come into my head, I think more than more, because I'm not thinking about these things. It's not like they're, it's not like I'm in this file cabinet of brilliance. I'm literally <laughs> just opening my mind and going, okay, I'm just going to get out the way and let the thing that's supposed to happen, happen. That's going to be the... Um Name of your episode? What? Filing Cabinet of Filler Brilliance. Uh, with Fil- your child. <laughs> I like it. Yes. Um, 
I don't remember the name of the book, but I read a book one time and it was about creativity and it was about this idea of ideas that pop into your head that you don't take are ideas that are going to go to other people's heads. Because yeah. if you think, like sometimes you think that you have this um, uh, monolithic thought mm-hmm. and then you go, oh my God, that other person just did that, right? So yes. the festival happened for multiple reasons because I made a promise actually to Shannon when she was sick. We had this long conversation and she uh, asked her what she hadn't been able to accomplish. Yeah. And it was a dance festival. You know, we talked about what it looked like. It was a free festival in a district. So I had parameters. I just didn't know exactly how that was going to happen. But I have no doubt that she's like in here. She's doing this thing. We're just a part. We're just along for the ride. Yeah. So to me, creative, creative expression and creativity is allowing yourself to be open to receive some of these messages, some of these thoughts, some of these ideas, and then going, okay, I'm not going to say no right away. I'm going to go, okay, what is possible? And then it uh, was really important to make sure that the family was supportive and that they had a part of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think because of the channels and because of the reasons that we're doing it, the, the motivation for it, there really hasn't been a whole lot of glitches because I think it's supposed to happen. Yeah. It's really meant to happen. So we just have to move out, move our egos out of the way and just go, okay, let's help this thing happen. I love how you say move our egos out of the way because I think I think that it's Jamie Jacobson that's like, you're gonna find a way to be in the dance community. And if you are building community, it's only gonna be better, right? I feel like this is Yes, this is because of Shannon, and and Shannon's vision of dance mm. coincided with Jamie Jacobson's mm-hmm. vision of dances for everybody, and mm-hmm. it's accessible, and it should be welcoming and inviting. If it's not, then like check yourself, mm-hmm. or or maybe like this is not the community for you. I was afraid that I was going to be out of town for the Caldrome Festival, and when I saw, it, I was like, absolutely yes. Why would I not want? to show up for somebody who championed for creative expression so yeah. hard. So much so that her whole family was like, yes, Shannon. And they all had their own creative expression yeah. that they all showed up for, right? I, I'm so thankful. Yeah. And I can't wait to see it happen. You know, she really was ahead of her time because we we talk a lot about diversity now. Yes. We talk a lot about but you she know. was doing diverse before she diverse was cool. She was doing diverse before any of us, yes. before it was in any of our heads, right? Absolutely. She was doing diverse. She was doing, uh, let me, you know, let me help you. Like, she put several kids on scholarship. She she did for others. She really invested in her community. I think that's something that we do as dance, uh, as the dance community, and that's one of the reasons why so it's easy for me to ask people for money to donate to this festival Mm -hmm. because I want the dance community to see what we can do. I think we sell ourselves short sometimes. Yes. And and actually sometimes people try to to sell us short. Yes. And we have to step up and go, yes, I'm a dancer, but I'm also able to do so many things that you all want to do because I'm a dancer. Correct. Because I'm a dance teacher, because we have to live in this space of intuitive being able to manage things, being able to communicate with people intuitively, 
and and pulling things out of people mm-hmm. and we do that on a daily basis i mean there are things that come into ed speak you know that you're like okay we've been doing that for seven years we we can do this absolutely and it's this you know the buzzword or, or all these things we've been doing it we just didn't have a word for we, it we don't because we didn't codify it ourselves but i think the dance community are capable of having a bigger impact on the community as a whole yes. not just the dance community absolutely and i think that it's time that we we do that which is why i'm championing so hard for this festival because i think once everybody sees us and and we see each other mm-hmm. i think it's gonna be fire it will be yeah yeah i really do you race produced a video on social media with Mama Fran from Metropolitan School of Dance Mm -hmm. Incorporated. And she said, why are we all fighting for these little slivers Mm -hmm. of resources? Why can't we all come together Mm -hmm. and pool our resources together? I was like, that is a beautiful idea. I want that to happen so bad. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how it will happen because maybe my perception is that we are all scattered thin doing all the work in our little pockets Mm -hmm. of the universe that we're in. Is there a way to still maintain the autonomy and the work that we're doing in our pockets while still joining together as a collective? I don't know. I mean, I think we we already sort of do that. If you think about like all the OKCPS teachers who Mm -hmm. pull together. Yes. Um, I I know quite a bit of studio owners who, especially, I think COVID was a big, uh, it really showed everyone what it looks like to come together. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to see, you know, studio owners are coming together, supporting each other more than they probably would have in the past. There's more to be done, but I definitely think that the conversations have been starting. And the street dance world, so excited. We're having a whole street dance area and they're going to be doing classes, and they're going to be a part of the festival. And so I think it starts with things like that. When I think COVID happened, we actually were going to have a big, I don't remember what it was called. We were going to march somewhere and then have a big discussion, and it yeah, got, I thought it got it was shut down. Film row. I thought it was going to be down yeah. by... Well, it got shut down because of COVID, yes. but but I think that that's, that is the kind of conversation we're having. You know, your panel yeah. discussion, I think, will be really important, because I think as many studio owners we can get to get there because that's not language that they're used to hearing. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes Ed Speak, if you're not in it, can be, it seems a little elitist, it seems a little intimidating, but it's just saying really simple things. Mm -hmm. Take care of your students, see them. It's as simple as, especially moving forward in this time, it's as simple as acknowledging their pronouns. Yes. You know, I don't think that that's very much. I really don't in the scope of what we need to be doing. But I can't tell you the difference it makes in the trust that I have with students. And it may just be three, but it means a great deal to them. And that's important to me as a teacher. If we can continue to educate people on what that looks like. Yeah. I think words are really important. And hearing your teacher use words that are inclusive makes a huge difference in a student and what they're willing to give back. Absolutely. So. Especially if you're trying to foster their creative expression. Exactly. Exactly. Because if, if you don't see them 
or you don't have a place in your space for them, how how are they expected to then open themselves up to you? You know, is that fair? Right. Because I don't think I would do that, you know? I agree. As a human who does all these things, what do you do to support your creative expression? After all these years of empowering other people. Honestly, I'm so... (laughs) I'm still pretty nerdy. Like, I still really love to read things, but I watch a lot of videos. I will go into a rabbit hole of watching... I don't know, some kid that's really good and just watch them for I just really love watching dance. I love that. Um so I still watch a lot of videos. Not TikTok still. I'm still not on TikTok, but I have been fighting off TikTok. <laughs> well, I'm not fighting it cuz I'm not going to do it. Cuz cuz I'm also really like I'd want to be really good at it and then right. so then 6 months go by and I, there's no way. I just can't do it. I got on TikTok. I know. Last week. Did you? I did. Oh, I thought you were on it already. No. I just joined. And okay. honestly, I haven't made anything. Because I want to, like, make something in relationship to the dance community. Yeah. Not, like, me dancing. Like, it's, like, something different. I love all of the f- sustainable forgers. I don't even know what that means. I started following this woman who went out and harvested baby pine cones and made like a like a molasses with it huh right (laughs) exactly and she ate the pine cones and she said it was like eating christmas huh yeah and it was nutritious and then there was another content maker he used the skin of pineapple to make pineapple tea for a high level of bromelain that sounds good yes i was like there's just so this the rabbit hole of learning. Yes. You just have to make sure you only like those things that really intri- like you yeah. have to be stingy with your hearts. It would just be puppy videos probably for me. That's what know? Instagram is for me. Yeah. Oh yeah, I get Animal puppy videos. videos. Puppy videos and Twitch and his wife oh. for some reason. Yeah. I like it. I yeah. mean, I'm not saying get on TikTok. I'm just saying like the nerd in you might appreciate it. Oh, I don't think. You that. don't have to make anything just like other people's content. There's so much content out there. Yeah. I'll put that on the summer list. No pressure, list. no pressure, yeah. Yeah, and then the other thing I do is if I love taking jobs that interest me but also push me. This of a mind that I just did for Oklahoma City Rep. Yeah. So this was a show that came from Ireland. It has never been done anywhere else. And it's an interactive, very, it's an audio tour. So it's experimental, I guess is the word which is why I'm part of Spark. I love this idea of things that have not been done or that are not predictable. And I think that is that helps with my artistic expression of, of making me think outside of that box constantly. I understand Spark to be an improv experience or improv performance. Mm-hmm. What skills do you think a person has to have to be an improvisational performer? Well, what's funny is I would never put myself in that category ever before because I come from the commercial world. But, you know, COVID just kind of makes you start over. And I was just like, ah, screw it. I'll try it. You know, it's fun. It sounds okay. It sounds fun. We'll be outside. And 
you know, I've always had this fascination with the orchestra because I don't understand how musicians can come into a scene and they have their little music and their instrument and they just show up and they look at it a couple of times and then they're ready to go. And I've always just been like, what the heck? Like, you didn't practice? I mean, the practice is they practice on their instrument. They know their instrument so really, really well. So they can really well. sight read. Exactly. Yeah. So they're sight reading, which essentially is what Spark is because... She, this particular performance coming up is not so much. We have a little bit more organized movement, but the action of sound painting mm-hmm. is basically a physical orchestra. What I love about it is that it's not just the moving that's improv, but it's also the music that's improv, the, the action, the art. Everything is happening in real time at the same time. So there's nothing else that's going to be like that ever again in existence. And that fascinates me, you know? So, yeah, I guess I'm an improv dancer now. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, surprise. Yeah. Doing this. It's really I'm fun. The community is really tight, and Nicole has fostered a really um, great enthusiasm for this kind of art. And I think our city is ready for that. I don't think Oklahoma City necessarily needs it anymore because I think we've just, I think we've been dormant, but I think we're ready. I think we're ready to be that metropolis of new and cutting edge things. I think that people underestimate Mm -hmm. how much talent is in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how else to tell people besides like, you just need to like come here, Mm -hmm. catch a show or go to one of these exhibits or Mm -hmm. walk, I don't know, walk down the street. (laughs) Well, I mean, the internet shows us how much talent is in the world, Mm -hmm. right? Because there are kids in the Philippines that yes. are out singing everybody, Sincerely. out dancing, kids in so Korea out dancing everybody, right? Yeah. So I think talent exists everywhere. But, you know, I did, I've never stopped traveling. I go everywhere. And I've always seen, I've always said Oklahoma City has some of the best talent ever. Like it really does. And I, I stand behind that. And if you look at what's happening in Broadway and in LA, there's a lot of Okies, man taken over places and it's not because just because they're friendly (laughs) i mean although we are but they're they're killing it because there's that work ethic they they also know how to be a good person yes most of the time right you can't teach that you're you're raised by that right Mm -hmm. and then they're reliable for the most part so there's there's something that oklahoma standard that comes with you i think that makes them Uh, palatable in other places which I think is awesome but I also think if you choose to stay here you should not be punished because you chose to find a home in Oklahoma and I think the worst people that think that are from here yeah I think that the crowds we've had to kind of teach our audiences hey just because we're all from here does not make it less engaging or less talented Yes. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So, But I think they've gotten great, and I think that people, because of the internet, are much more open to things, and because more people are coming here now from other places, and they're like, okay, this is awesome. I'm really proud of the talent here in Oklahoma. I think that that. I'm proud to say I'm from here. I think that means a lot to people who are artists in Oklahoma to hear that. Like, hey, Charles, I worked whatever (laughs) indeed you could teach anything Mm -hmm. why dance education 
So I've, I've become more patient in my older age. Yes. I think partly because I've been teaching so long and also because I think when you're in a nonprofit industry, you have to be patient. So what I've learned through that patience is you have to foster things in advance. So if you want to see something happen five years from now, you have to start working on it now. So if we want students to succeed and be more successful in the future, we have to make sure we're fostering those teachers now. That's why dance education. And I'm going to care about it. I care about it. I'm not going to stop caring about it. Not that somebody else would step in and not care, but I I just care a lot about it. So I I want to put myself in the position to be able to help with that. Segue, in case anybody was like, what? You are the coordinator of the dance ed degree at UCO. Is that correct? Correct, correct. And yes. we have we have placed the majority of, I think, OKCPS teachers. Yes. Um, I was one of them. Yes. And you've been teaching for how long? I have been teaching since 2011. I was the first graduating class with... 11 Erica. years? Mm-hmm. No. Is that 11 years? Yes. Oh. It's 22. I suppose, yes. Wow. Yeah, I started at Jefferson for two years. Yeah. I was at Douglas for six. And I've been at PCO for three. That's a long time. <laughs> That's a long time. You're an educator. I am an educator, yes. So, I mean, and so you see the investment is a long-term investment. Absolutely. And also, I think as we get more volatile as a a society Mm -hmm. and more things are crazy and out of control, we need to be stable. We need to have, just like parenting, you have to have a solid, you have to have a core, a foundation that that the kids can come to and feel like, okay, this is... This is standard. I know what I'm going to get here. There's no mm-hmm. surprises. And so how do we put people in the community that are going to be there for the long haul and not just do it for a year and leave? Yes. Right? You have to. So important. So you have one to invest my, in that. One of my, uh, my no, my, my mentor teacher, Connie Ellis, mm-hmm. when I first graduated and, and started the dance program at Douglas, she said it takes five years to build a program. Mm-hmm. And I am so grateful for that nugget yeah. of advice because I wouldn't have survived those first three years if I didn't know to keep my eye on the prize for year five. And year six was the most beautiful year for yeah. Douglas. Yeah. Well, and just because you may not be getting back the kind of feedback that you we all want mm. doesn't mean that the students aren't receiving. Correct. I think, you know, if you're willing to give and you may not get the reciprocal because I you know a lot of times I don't get the feedback until 10 years later when students come back and they're like okay remember that time you did this or you said this and it, it really impacted and I don't need it it's nice to hear but I'm willing to invest because you then are going to touch how many lives uh, at least like t- close to 200 a 11 year. years of you know what I'm saying so then we're together building this community that's been nurtured and that's been loved and I think we have to what choice do we have we can't give it to the people who are just collecting paychecks they're not going to care so we have to we have to care I had this conversation the other day I don't know what I would do if I left education 
Like, I don't have any other skills. <laughs> like, I understand because I'm an educator, I have a ton of skills that people would appreciate. Yeah. But, like, no. I don't actually know how to do anything else except yeah. for tell people how to unlock things in themselves. Maybe you could become a supervisor of something. But, you know, I tried being a secretary one time for a week. And I was, I was uh, invited to not do that anymore after a week. <laughs> They're like, please go back to the classroom. (laughs) (laughs) So I think teaching is such a rewarding industry because it's so instantaneous. You see, and you get to get so close to people in those years that you're with them. I mean, sometimes more so even than their families. Yes. And because I just think about my teachers and how impactful they were for me. And you get to do that. Like... What a wonderful role that is, you know? It is very fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if there's, because, you know, I understand the whole money thing, but I don't know if there's a monetary value that can can be gauged for the amount of uh, reward we get. Absolutely. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't always, we should always be getting more, because I think we should. Livable. Yes, a livable wage is great. You shouldn't be punished if you have a child. Yeah. <laughs> of your own. Like, if you give birth to a child. Right. You should still be supported. Correct. I've actually mentioned you a million times on this podcast. Really? Yeah. One, there are two things that I've learned from you. But before we get to those two things, yep, we'll get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> Quit looking at my last teacher. <laughs> it's written in my language. One, you were my only Asian American teacher growing up. Mm -hmm. So I went to a 6A school and I was the only Filipino girl Mm -hmm. in my class ever. And none of my educators were not white women. They were all white women. Yes. Okay. And I had wonderful educators and I'm so thankful for them. But it wasn't until I got to UCO that I had a Korean American, you, Mm -hmm. And a black woman, Emily. Mm. That was my first time to ever have a teacher that did not look like culture of dominance. And what did that mean for you? It was so strange (laughs) as an adult looking back that I didn't cash in on those opportunities. Uh. And in Filipino American culture, you see Filipinos as prostitutes. Yeah, or okay. housekeepers. Just one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> There's no... Or nurse. The, okay, uh, yeah, su- that's right. Successful that's right. Filipinos are nurses. Are nurses. Okay. All the others are prostitutes and housekeepers. And housekeepers. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I was like, oh, here's this Korean woman. Yeah, and she's definitely a prostitute. <laughs> like bonkers to really reflect on my educational journey and be like hmm and so I'm curious like have you ever thought about that for yourself or you're just like "Mm -hmm." as far as like how did I get there um yes okay and what do you feel like there is a significance of one like you're an incredible teacher like thank you everybody who has ever experienced the he cha experience <laughs> knows that you're an incredible teacher. And also, what part of that is important that you are a Korean mm-hmm. American woman? 
Hmm. Well, it's that's such a strange question. It because is. Because I don't see myself necessarily as that. But I will say that one of my mentors, who uh, was a Chinese-American woman, was the woman I saw on television. And I saw her on a, on a, on a bullet, uh, what do you, a brochure for a dance convention. And I remember thinking, she's like me. I'm like her. If she's doing it, I can do it. So it, I, I guess thinking back on it, being on the other side of it, of course, there's that connection. And I have quite a, a lot of Japanese students, actually. Mm-hmm. And not that we weren't close, but I, they tend to, I tend to, to draw yeah. to them. And it, there is a familiarity mm-hmm. of, because, you know, when you look like me, you look like my family. Yes. And that makes me feel a little bit more at home. And so I think that that kind of representation is incredibly important. Does it play a role in the classroom? Besides just, I see you, you see me, I accept you, we're good. I'm not sure. Except for, you know, if I'm translating a, a, a song and it's, you, you know, mm-hmm. in another language and I need, I've had Hispanic students, so I'm like, I need you to translate this for me. Tell me what it means, yada, yada, yada. As far as in the classroom, does it play a role? Not necessarily. I mean, not that I've seen, because I feel like that's the one place we can come to, and we're just dancing together. And maybe it should. Maybe maybe that's something to look at. But I've never really thought too much about it, because in class, to me, you're Maria. <laughs> you know, I see often you. confused for Erica. And then Erica would get called Maria. Lies. No, this is true. Like, we make, like, every time, like, I go, I just saw the baby the other day. Oh, my gosh. And the baby opened his eyes. I'm like, hello. Yes, I look like your mom, but I am not. And she was like, Erica was like, yeah, that's Maria. I'm Erica. Don't get confused. Yes, we would be in class. And Erica is on the side. And I was doing, I was going across the floor. And the teacher would be like, good job, Erica. And I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> I'm Maria. <laughs> but because our countries were pillaged uh-huh. and colonized by the same people, uh-huh. we have very similar DNA pathways. Mm-hmm. And that's why Filipinos mm-hmm. and Mexicans look so similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also I'm an Asian. But do you Maria. think that do you think that, that happens because you're also because the demographic at UCO is not hugely diverse um or it wasn't back then yes at that time yes like i was one of three (laughs) so did that happen because of that you think yes i think it goes back to culture dominance Mm -hmm. not because anybody was trying right to make it culture dominance i think it's just the system college i mean college is culture dominance yeah and I also think that, and I'm trying not to go on like, oh, strange rant, this isn't about me. Hey, we're all here to learn. <laughs> we are. There, there are things, even just the word culture of dominance, mm. that I was, like, we weren't even really aware of. We weren't, I wasn't really aware of systemic, the, the, the vastness of systemic racism. I mean, mm. there are so much that we are learning. And the question is, you know, what's going to be done about that? Right. We have the information now. Now what? And I think my response like to that, like what do we do now, mm-hmm. is one, I'm transparent about being an immigrant in my classroom. Mm-hmm. 
I introduce myself as an immigrant because mm-hmm. I think when I am working in a school that is a third white, a third black, and a third Hispanic, there is someone in there that's going to go, oh, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit safe. I feel safer here mm-hmm. because she knows yeah. what it's like to be an immigrant. I think I, I also introduce myself as biracial. Mm-hmm. And I'm transparent that I am currently working on my own decolonizing practice. Mm-hmm. And then when I teach jazz and hip hop history, I talk about African-American English mm-hmm. and how it is a language, not slang. Right. And I, I think that that intention of how I introduce myself and how I teach history and how I teach dance as like, it's not this and the other. It is, these are vocabularies that we can explore movement inside of. Mm -hmm. I think that those are strategies of facing culture of dominance head on without causing shame Mm -hmm. and invites questions to say, "Mm, that's unfamiliar to me. Can you, can you tell me more? Mm -hmm. Well, and you say, you naming immigrant, that's who you are, Mm -hmm. not only allows for those students who are to come to you, but also allows for the 85 other percent of students to go, oh, here's an immigrant. She's our teacher. So then there's that two-way openness of of acceptance, right, which is really, really important. I'm very proud to be an immigrant. The fact that my family came from another freaking country and didn't have running water till we got here. You know, didn't know what really a lot of the things here were, but were really happy as a, a small Korean child. And have I've never let go of that, right? So there's some, so much to be learned from immigrants. There's so much to that courage. And the fact that they speak two languages, yes. the majority of them, right? Right. We have so much to learn. And when did that become a a thing I remember as a child, my, I would interpret from a family a lot. And people would talk to my parents like they were dumb. Mm-hmm. They would talk to my parents like they were deaf. They would talk to my parents like there was there was just something wrong with them. And I just remember even as a small child just looking at grown adults acting like this going, they just speak another language. Right. Like, can you not behave this way? Like, mm. what what's wrong with you that you can't be mature about this and try to try to help them instead of belittle them. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to learn. I have observed that sentiment in the classroom mm-hmm. from you. I've watched you. There was one time there, another student was Japanese. Then there was the rest of the students. And something, 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 not everybody has the same background. And you turn to me and you go, isn't that right, Maria? I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't remember the context, mm-hmm. but I just remember... There was something about this student that was other, that was different. Mm -hmm. And something was said. Perhaps that experience was of your subconscious. Mm -hmm. But I I think that it relates to, yes, because you are a Korean-American immigrant, it is so important Mm -hmm. that you have this presence as an educator. Mm -hmm. Like It is so important in the classroom for people of all backgrounds to be like, oh curious that tiny woman just kicked my ass (laughs) (laughs) and i also push back on this idea of women not leading Mm -hmm. in the asian culture because you know i certainly was raised to be a wife 
mm. and a mother. No, no fault of my parents. They just were following suit. We were we were given a, a better life than yeah. them. So they, my mom taught me what she knew and knew also very early that that was not going to be my end goal, my end game, right? So <laughs> being... I, you know, I don't know why I'm in charge because I'm. I certainly didn't seek it, but I think that I've always retaliated from what was expected. Mm. I pushed back on this whole idea of being subservient, of being quiet, of not speaking my mind. Are those really true values of our cultures? What do you mean? Like the docile, subservient. Oh hell yeah! Quiet. Really? Yeah. Okay. Do you know something different? Well, I, I've grown up hearing this idea of, yeah, the military men loved marrying the Filipino women because they were just so docile and they take care of their husbands. I'm like, that is not what I observed. <laughs> because the, what I observed is if you don't do this right, mm-hmm. I'm going to cut you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm kill you in your sleep. Yes. Yeah. So well, yeah. There is a little bit of fear, I'm sure. Yeah. Because you know, I can get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And like, and I think that I think that that's a colonizer mentality. Maybe. I think, I think that somewhere somebody was like, oh, these women are just too much. They can do too much. What if we convince them that they need to be like this? Yeah. Well, so I can only speak from my experience, but so my mom. Would, so I, I blame my, this is my mother. She would say to me during the day if I argued or if I spoke back, she'd be like, you know, don't do that. You're not supposed to do that because that's, she's, as the mother is supposed to discipline me. And then at night before we go to bed, she'd, she'd say, oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of who you are. I love that you speak your mind. So that's why I'm a little confused, right? Yeah. So, but I pieced it together and figured out really inside She's kind of just giving me her power. She's chosen the path of the subservient wife. Mm. And that was very much expected of her. And she was happy to play that role. But I don't have to be. So it was kind of this whole, oh, you're going to be, you're rebellious. And I, and I want to foster that because I'm living vicariously through you. It, in my family, it was very, you will do what you're supposed to do. And if you don't. You will be in trouble, but I also would not be tamed. (laughs) I appreciate that story. So I am in a new chapter with my mom. Mm -hmm. And so to hear that story, Mm -hmm. I can reflect on some conflicting points. Yes. Very conflicting. That we didn't raise you to be like this. Mm -hmm. Oh, also, Mm -hmm. I'm dabbling in eating healthy myself mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh really mom mm-hmm. yes yeah so there's communication that's happening that's not direct mm-hmm. but there's still communication that's happening yes and there is a pride I mean there's there's not a moment in my life ever that I didn't feel loved disappointed many times and and you know what the hell were you thinking lots of times but always with love yeah and there was a great deal of pride in the sense of I'm so lucky to have a daughter as strong as you and one that will speak your mind. So I think that resonates with me, that has resonated with me since I was a little, little child. That's so beautiful. 
segue, speaking your mind. <laughs> there are two lessons that I learned oh, from people. Okay, I've learned many, many lessons, actually. This podcast is a lesson. Like, the, like this pod, like the overarching theme mm-hmm. of, like, community is because of you. In what way? Um, so when COVID hit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no, take it even further back. From the beginning of my teaching career, I have always felt I, I was in isolation. Mm. Because when you're the dance teacher, you're the only teacher. Unless you work at Capitol Hill or class in SAS where right. they get to have two dance teachers. Right. You just feel so isolated. And then COVID hit and we were like double isolated. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to connect with other people. One time UCO had that professional development mm-hmm. and we all, we cried and we laughed and it was such <laughs> a beautiful day. And we all were like, this is the most nutritional day of my career because I got to be in the same room with other people who speak my language mm-hmm. and understand what's going on in my classroom. And then COVID hit. And I wanted community so bad mm-hmm. that I would literally was like, how can I manufacture community in different mediums i've just concluded that this podcast is the best way for us all to be in one room yeah without actually being in the same room yeah well i was telling you that i would put on mike's uh, podcast yeah. earlier and his the sound of his voice was so comforting to me because i miss him already yeah yeah oh. yeah that's wonderful so great so many lessons from he cha these are the two that <laughs> i can repeat verbatim you're more than a piece of ass. <laughs> I'll circle back to that. And say yes to every opportunity. But we're going to we're going to go back to that one. Okay. So the first one, I was a late start to dance. Mhm. I mean, I say I was a late start and then I heard your story, dang. Um, I started dancing when I was 9 because the doctor I was having back pains and the doctor was like, oh, her hips are like out of alignment. You just need to take her to a dance class and it'll fix itself. Nice. It did not. <laughs> Made it worse. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I started going to Avi, Avi Duran Ritas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her mom has a ballet studio out in Utah. Deborah, Deborah, Deborah. Varan Dance. Varan Deborah Duran uh, Boston. That's right. Yes. That's right. I was only allowed to take classical ballet because mm-hmm. one, that's really all that we could afford. Mm-hmm. So, I always loved hip-hop and jazz, but I wasn't allowed to take it. Yeah. And then you came and taught a OKLA workshop. Okay. Yes. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Many moons yeah. ago. Wow. And uh, this was the time of, like, Ying Yang Twins and David Banner okay. and Little John and the Eastside Boys. Yeah. And you, like, stop the music and you go, I just need you to know. But right now, it's very popular for dancers to get hired to just shake their butt. But what I need you to know <laughs> is that you are more than a piece of ass. I said ass? Yes! yes to kid? Yes! Oh you God. did! And then I was like, I'm going to go to UCO. <laughs> like, that was literally the day I, I decided. I was wow. 14 and I decided I was going to be a UCO dance performance major. Yeah. Because you said you were... Because honestly, it was the most empowering thing. Because dance was the only time I was ever completely in control because everything else was so chaotic. Mm-hmm. And I was never allowed to make decisions for myself mm-hmm. except for when I was in dance. Right. And I think so part of the Filipino like haha, not haha is like there's like an over sexuality mm-hmm. of humans regardless of age. 
Okay. And I think that that's actually all cultures, mm-hmm. to be specific. But I, like, we see it in Filipino culture too much. Mm. By that point, I just had experience. I was 14, and my uncles in the U.S. who were American had already been like, she'll probably get pregnant at 16. Oh, my god! So just to be hyper, like, it, that's one example. Yeah. So to be hyper-sexualized mm-hmm. at such a young age, mm-hmm. and then to hear an Asian woman mm-hmm. say to me, you are more, more than a piece than of ass. Yeah. I'm like, I am. Like, I'm actually <laughs> very smart. Yeah. Like, I, every time I go around a family thing, because I never see my family, I was mm-hmm. removed from that situation at a very young age. They're always like, oh my gosh, you are so beautiful. You're so pretty. Yeah. And I just want to be like, yes. And I'm also brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So it just was so meaningful to me. Well, That's I'm why so I've glad. talked about it. That's why I'm talking about it for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Well, of course. Could you elaborate on that? Maybe like, I don't know. Do you, Have you said this again? I don't know. Yeah, I think that where I was coming from at, at that time was probably just working in LA yeah. and I was taught by by men um, so I was taught more masculine hip-hop and I know that this whole masculine feminine thing is tricky because uh, it's it's very gray um, in this time but at that time that's what we were doing and so it was very um, very bassy very muscle muscular very very athletic in that way and then when I was working in LA, I think what had started happening is more of the, the, I guess, the the movement that you would see in honestly like strip clubs probably was coming into play. Mm. I think I'm 100% for expression, and understand a little bit more now historically of the African diaspora and how that lends itself to a movement that is um, sensual. Mm. And so I think that I would probably exchange some language out mm-hmm. that comes from a little a, a little more a place of knowledge mm-hmm. that's more inclusive. But I will say that there is something to be said for age appropriateness. Mm-hmm. There is a difference, huge difference f- between a woman or man expressing themselves sexually once they know themselves as opposed to somebody who's doing it as a means of of this is all I've got and I think that comes with uh, learning about yourself knowing about yourself and fostering all the things intellect expression emotion spirituality like everything that that encompasses you and then saying hey I have found the freedom to do this with my body because my body wants to is different than doing something performative because you need to get something out of it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yes, 100%. And especially children who are doing that because, you know, they're shaking their butts and people are laughing and and clapping. And again, it's very different in different cultures. So I think you have Mm -hmm. to be respectful of why. I think the context is probably the most important word here. Yes. And I, again, thinking back on that language, would probably defer to something a little more deep, mm. a little more connected to, you know, where is this coming from? In what context are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your goals? That type of thing. Absolutely. Um, but that's where, 
at that time, I think, where I was coming from. And I had come back here and I wanted to make sure, hey, you need to be able to just like a range, like a singer would have range mm-hmm. from alto voice to, to mezzo-soprano voice. Mm-hmm. As a dancer and as a female dancer at that time, you need to have a range of your scope. Mm-hmm between these movements and being able to do the movements. You can isolate so mm-hmm. many body parts. Mm-hmm. You can, and you should. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the reflection that you put into that, that African diaspora has gifted the globe. Mm-hmm. Like we are richer because of African diaspora, mm-hmm. and also people are are still healing, Yeah, right? Oh, and no, necessarily if they gifted it or if we stole it. Yes, thank you. You're right. <laughs> You're right. It was stolen. <laughs> yeah. But, and then there's still the, the acts of joy exactly. and celebration. Mm-hmm. And I think that those are gifts. Mm-hmm. And if we are so nose in the air aligning to culture of dominance and call those gifts less than mm-hmm. or label them as or demonize them or fetishize them right mm-hmm. we are missing out on the gift mm-hmm. because yes we when we learn where this movement comes from and why yeah and, and the freedom with which that expression exists and then also why are we so f- afraid to connect to our bodies mm-hmm. why are, why is it why is it bad to gyrate like we have all these parts and that's to me is one of the things i love about watching that form in any in any genre Mm -hmm. is the freedom of it it's not like nobody's forcing you to to uh sit there and and do it you can watch it and appreciate it and enjoy it and then not judge it Yes. Because because I think what happens is we go, oh, well, I'm not comfortable with that because so now I, I'm going to be judgmental. Because, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm and I'm not responsible for your setback. It's in your in your things that you have to deal with. But mm-hmm. I should be allowed to be free with my body. Absolutely. And so we, we got to get to a, a part in our, I think in our society where we can just see that and and people just need to ask more questions yes we had that um during the shutdown we pivoted our programming and did videos and one of the videos was stepping and they went back and and did a little bit of a a history um ak walker went back and did some history and and it does tie back to certain dances that they were doing for um you know rain or 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 celebration or and so if you did a little history and not just go oh that that twerking and then people just think that they know but you don't know so don't speak about it unless you learn some things about it absolutely while you were talking about that i the, the idea of like why are we so against being in our bodies so the idea of the hips sit within the realm of the root chakra mm-hmm. and the root chakra being security. Mm. And if I'm afraid to move my my area of security, mm-hmm. what does that say about my environment? Mm. So it's curious to me. Hmm. Like the rigidity. I, mean, I would understand. I would think that that was the initiation of all movement is from that root chakra, isn't it? Yeah. So then, how do you start? How do you move anything else? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. 
I feel like that's for another episode. Maybe. <laughs> we'll have to bring Brandy in on that one. She would have a lot of answers. That yes. girl. With the embodiology. Is inform- yeah, she's got information. That's why I did the first episode with her. Yeah. So that, you know, some time can pass. I'm like, hey, it's time for you to do another episode, Brandy. You definitely should bring her back. Absolutely. So I think she's finishing up her. Oh, good. Course well, work. actually, this was supposed to be our podcast. Oh, gotcha. And then yeah. And then she was like, Maria, I can't take on any more things. I'm like, she'll come back. That's fine, but I'll be here when you're ready. Yeah. <laughs> she'll come back. So the second thing I learned from you of the long list, but this is the, the major theme, is say yes to every opportunity. In my 20s, sometimes I would curse you for that. Mm. Like, damn it, <laughs> Hecha, why am I saying yes to all these things? You say this my freshman year of mm-hmm. undergrad. I say yes to every single thing thrown at me. I graduate in spring of 2011 with job offers. Mm-hmm. My sister-in-law never does anything in undergrad except for earn her four degrees so in the four years I did one degree, she did four, and she learned like six different languages. Incredible <laughs> human. Okay. No job offers. And oh, she, wow. Yeah. She was so frustrated. She's like, I have all these skills, but everyone's like, you have no job experience. Where mm-hmm. I, like Larry, when I Larry is my husband, for context. My husband, I like to put my feet on him because he cringes. Mm-hmm. And one time he was like, oh. Don't put your feet on me. I'm going to get an STD from all the dance floors you've been on. Ew. Right? Like, Good that's point, really though. gross. But also, yes. <laughs> because at that point, I was dancing here, dancing there, teaching here, teaching there, rehearsing here. I was everywhere. And as I got into my 20s, I'm like, I am so tired. But now, 11 years into education, I can say no. Mm-hmm. And there are still more opportunities. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I need to say no a little bit more often because I'm still saying yes a lot. That brings me to, I, I said this to Brandy the other the other day last year, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I say yes to everything, and, and now I'm weaning myself off of saying yes to everything, but you know who really made me say yes to everything? He chaw. Like, I was so, like, aggressive about yeah. it. She's like, hmm, that's interesting, Maria. I think that, that... It's different for Hecha now. So in like, what oh, way? I don't know. She didn't. She didn't elaborate? No. She was like, I, I think that because I was saying, can you believe that Hecha is out here telling us to say yes to everything? And now I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so like bitter about it. Yeah. And she's like, mm, I, I don't know if she still teaches that, Maria. Yeah. I think that's changed. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, I do agree that especially for teachers, if you're building your Vita, that it is really important to be, to have experience. And teaching is not something you can learn with anything else except to teach. So I think those kinds of experiences for sure, yes. Well, okay, so I'm just going to give myself a little bit of a, a, a grace period and say, COVID, I said no to everything and really took, I got, took a whole summer off last year. So when everything came back, I started to say yes and all the yeses kind of caught up with me. I don't regret it. I'm still doing everything and I still have plenty of time to myself. I have said that I'm gonna take a little bit of time off after fall, but I think what the difference is, I'm able to, like you said, pick and choose my yeses. Yes. Which is a great feeling. I'm so thankful. A really, really good feeling. So, 
Funny story, though. Can I tell you a funny story? Please. I started a dance company, not a, a, a dance convention with my friends when we were in L.A., so it was called Groove Street Dance. And so it happens in Canada. And so every year I would go to Canada and go teach and everything. And we had our 20th anniversary of Groove Street. I think it was six years ago, maybe. Oh, wow. So I flew up there to teach. And our main person that was going to teach our master class teacher was Vincent Patterson. And Vincent's choreographed for Smooth Criminal and all of these other uh, Madonna, several, several films. And so I met him and I learned Smooth Criminal. And it was really fun. So fast forward four years later, we're Facebook friends because I met him on that, that trip. And he's like, on Facebook Messenger one night, he's like, do you give a reel? I don't remember how I know you, but how do I know you? And I said, Vincent, we met at the Canada, da 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 And he's like, oh, well, okay, so I'm doing mostly directing now, but do you have a choreographer reel? And I was like, I don't. I don't have a reel. Like, I've never had to use a reel. People talk to me about the job and then I say yes and I've just never had a reel and so for a moment I was like I should have a reel I should really have a reel and then I thought about like what do I want to do what am I doing I'm not really I choreograph but I'm not trying to be like the next choreographer or master class teacher that I would need a reel so I just was honest with him I was like Vincent I don't use a reel I haven't had one um, if you want me to put something together, I can, but that's not on my list of priorities because I'm also a full-time teacher and all the, all the stuff. So fast forward to um, last fall, and my friend Cindera is like, hey, he, I gave your name to uh, this woman who's starting this choreographer's guild, which is the first guild for choreographers. You know, producers have one, SAG, uh, Screen Actors Guild exists, even quilters have one, choreographers have never had one. Wow. And I was like, Cinder, I'm not a choreographer necessarily in the SAG, in the in that screen world. Because mm-hmm. um, it was, you know, television, film, concert work. And so she's like, I know, but you, you ran a nonprofit. You're in education. Like, you have things to offer. Mm-hmm. And so I joined this guild. So I've been meeting with them uh, weekly. And I'm talking, like, every week I'm just in awe of the people that I'm, like, looking at the screen going, holy crap, that's so-and-so and so-and-so and so Anyway, so I'm just there offering my two cents here and there. Um, I would be, once they start it, we'll be on an advisory panel because, I'm you know, I'm not a working, quote-unquote, television film uh, choreographer in the realm that they are. But I'm happy to be a part of it because if it sets it up for the future for possible students to get into that world and have a better uh, go at it, then great. But Is that seed for your five-year plan? Exactly. Well, so here's the deal, though. Come Calderon Dance Festival, I need a headliner. Vincent Patterson is on this guilt. So I reach out to him and kind of tell him about He's like, great, yeah, let's do it. That's how Vincent came to be our headliner, and he's coming to teach Smooth Criminal at the festival to anybody who wants to learn it. (laughs) So I I like to tell the college students or whoever I'm teaching, you never know why things happen the way they happen. You never know down the line. The person that's standing next to you at the bar that you may not give two breaths to may be your boss someday. Mm -hmm. The person that is your best friend. You're like, you just never know what's going to happen. Absolutely. And if you can foster anything in college, it would be self-reliance, 
because nobody can go with you on this journey. Mm-hmm. It would be confidence and not not the fake kind, but like efficacy, confidence. I yeah. can do this. And it would be just a disposition of gratitude, professionalism, and just do I want to be around you? Be you know? a person I want to work with. Exactly, exactly. And all that other stuff can be trained, can be mm-hmm. coached. But if you can work on those things, and I think that's why doing, saying yes is great because you meet a lot of people mm-hmm. and they get to see you in a way that's different than yeah. in the classroom. Absolutely. So I probably will still say that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, especially, me. especially the volunteerism. Yes. Because that's the time to do it. Absolutely. If it wasn't for all the free things that I did mm-hmm. in my adolescence, like undergrad and in my 20s, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Right. Well, and there's just, I mean, I think you have to be willing to do some stuff. I don't think that takes away from my professionalism mm-hmm. to say, hey, yeah, I'm willing to do that for you. Yes. Because I need that. It's in a bank if you think about investing, mm-hmm. I have a bank and I invest, right? What I put in is what I can take out. And there are moments where you can invest a lot and you can do that free gig for this person or you can do extra dance stuff for yourself just for fun, like tap, take tap class. Right. And then there are times when you're withdrawing. Mm-hmm. So it allows for more withdrawals if you're willing to deposit more. Absolutely. Because it is a two-way street. You can't expect a return without giving. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely see that. Mm -hmm. I feel that for sure. I am so thankful for these lessons that I got to learn from you in undergrad. So you're not not mad at me anymore? Oh, no, no. Okay. Absolutely not. No. (laughs) I owe my entire career to you. Stop. (laughs) What is your hope for your students? Always independence always i think that if they can do it on their own then i it's just like children it's not really that different than parenting if i can foster that independence in them and they can go no matter what they do i they can go be a barista at starbucks for all i care if they're doing it and they're confident in it and they're and it's the best job they can do and they do it themselves that's then i've done my job I feel like you're telling me that you're proud of me because that's I'm what so I did. I'm so proud of you. In undergrad, I Is was barista at Starbucks. Look at that! <laughs> I had I would no go idea. open at 5 a.m. Yeah. And they would work with my schedule. They let me off at 8 so I could drive to Edmond, yeah. take ballet. Yeah. And then sometimes I would go and close mm-hmm. depending on my rehearsal schedule. See? <laughs> Thank you but, for being proud of me. I mean, do you understand that some people will go their whole lives never? Finding that efficacy that mm-hmm. I did this, I made this happen. And I think that that builds character. It builds the kind of character and the kind of citizens that we want in this world to make it better. Absolutely. So. Counterpoint. Inside of this independence, how does that connect them to community? Because we are a social species. Mm-hmm. So yes, you want your students to be independent. Mm-hmm. And how do they relate to their community? Well, I think they're two really, really different things. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and I think independence for me means if something doesn't exist, like let's say you go and try out for five companies 
and you have in your mind you've you've got this dream of starting your own independence for me means hey i'm going to continue to try to find this other job while also maybe planning for this company or mm-hmm. or thinking about what this would look like in the future mm-hmm. it means uh, devising your own dr- hopes and dreams and plans mm-hmm. not necessarily just being by yourself does that make sense absolutely yes so independent thought independent process independent because I spend a lot of time alone mm-hmm. physically, you know. You, yeah. There's work you can't do with other people. Correct. And it took a lot of time for me to be comfortable with that. And I think once I was, I was like, okay, so this is where the work happens. And and it, I think it builds um, the kind of work ethic that it takes to do long, sustainable things that you can build a career on. Absolutely. So that's the independence I'm talking about. Most definitely. Of course, I want to dance with people. Mm-hmm. Of course, I want to build community and help and help and go teach here and go help my friends and go do all of those things. But I think when you're an independent, secure person, then you're actually able to do that because yeah, you're not up. so worried about what the feedback's going to be. Yeah. You're not so you're not depending on other people to tell you that you're good. Yeah. I have lots of failures. I mean, I have Things that I walk away from, that even classes that I'm like, whew, that was a rough one, <laughs> you know. But, but I am not looking for feedback to validate me. Absolutely. And that makes me valuable to the community. Yeah. What is your hope for education? I mean, I'm never going to get it, but just faster results. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um. I feel like education is so volatile right now, it seems. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's lots of questions on the benefits of certain types of education. There are questions about processes and Mm -hmm. uh, this whole idea of hierarchy. And I have questions myself. My hope for education is that it's available on a broader scale to more people and that it's more equitable and uh, affordable because I, I think that education is vital. So if more people can have it, then aren't we growing a bigger, a better society? Right. But, you know, I'm not a legislator, so damn it. Right? Ah! If everybody runs for office, who will do all the other jobs? Do we all have to be legislators to like yeah. make progress? I hope not, because I'm never going to do that, but I don't know. Like, I have other aspirations, and I yeah. don't have time to be. I do have some. I mean, I have, I have, education's not perfect, and right. I find myself sitting in meetings a lot of times just thinking, what are we doing Mm -hmm. because it feels I feel like a hamster on a wheel a lot yes it feels very like it's in two segments there's the actual work Mm -hmm. and I understand the other work is slow and and there are when 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 there's changeover like in leadership Mm -hmm. then it affects the whole the system yeah which then affects the next system, which then affects the next system. Mm-hmm. And we're not even finished creating that new system before the next turnover happens. So it's this kind of always running incomplete thing. 
and I get frustrated. It does frustrate me. I'm not going to lie. But also, if we don't try and we give up, then who's going to fight for our children? Absolutely. It's not for the faint of heart, let's just say. Most definitely. What words of advice do you have for educators? Just keep doing it. But I mean, I think I've had a conversation with at least every teacher at some point during the last five years just to say, keep doing it. You don't know the impact that you're making. Mm -hmm. And without you, things are not as good. And I know that to be true, especially in the public schools. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine. And luckily, Oklahoma City sees the value in dance. And I think luckily we have the wellness factor. We have the physical fitness factor. We have lots of benefits, right? Right. But luckily... The, the administrators see the value in it. I feel like I might even have some scientific data from maybe Stanford or UCLA or something that I've seen in the history of the actual quantified benefits of dance. The things that you're teaching your students today may not impact them today, but they're impacting them. Absolutely. And, and, you think about all the celebrities or people that are in, you know, higher the realm in their lives and they talk about their teacher or that impacted them in this way or that way. It's, it's always years later, usually, yes. that they feel it. So just keep doing what you're doing and come together and, and don't be afraid to be vulnerable with each other and don't be afraid because I think this is one thing I've been really good at because I work at it. I always say I do not know a lot of things because I'm able to say that I'm open to learning yeah and I think we have to stay that way I agree I mean a Mm -hmm. my memory's going (laughs) (laughs) is it oh my gosh it's really bad because for some reason I can't when I teach things these days so I have videos now it used to be notes right right now it's just videos so I have videos I reverse things all the time, and then I can't remember. My students are the most patient people in the world <laughs> because I'm sometimes literally doing, like, four counts at a time, and they're just looking at me, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. So I would it's quite funny. I appreciate being taught hee-chaw movement four counts at a time. Well, whatever. <laughs> because then I could consume all of the information yeah. at a pace that was slower than hee-chaw. <laughs> you know what, though? They've had Mike for a year. Oh. And a Mike Esperanza class. Yeah. You're learning a lot. Oh. So I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad. <laughs> That's at all. funny because he was like, she moves too fast. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. So taking my class, I think comparatively, is like a short novel compared to a long novel with his class. Oh. Yeah. So the the overload oh okay Um, because i've taken i took his class a lot Uh but but what i'll say is you complain about it during but after you your brain is pushed would you say you feel as if he unlocked your potential he did unlock my potential (laughs) yes he did full circle yes he did faculty and then i have I, I guess, help people find the file of, what is it, the brilliance? Fi- yeah, their filing the cabinet. The filing cabinet of, of brilliance. brilliance. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I see the motif here. 
I, yeah, I, I try it. to like pin <laughs> things together. I am very proud of you. Thank you. I'm very proud of you. Yes, you've done a lot of things <laughs> and endured a lot of things, but mm-hmm. I think what makes me most proud of you is that the care that you have for your students is tangible mm-hmm. and very they, they even I remember at those at, at the Douglas classes and yeah. any student that I've had with you there is a peace and a calm and a sense of I trust this woman and that's not easy to do and I think that comes with a, a long journey of finding who you are, but also giving so much of yourself to your students. And that is a gift. And that is a gift that you give them. So can I tell you my secret? Mm -hmm. We shake our asses. (laughs) (laughs) Well, whatever it takes. Thank you. I I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's really sweet. (laughs) Makes me a little glassy eyed. Thank you so much for doing this. Of course. I really yeah. appreciate it. And I know everyone will be like, hey, Cha, tell us more about your Calderon Festival. <laughs> when is it happening? So May 21st. Um, it's an all-day free festival for the community from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. So we have classes from 10 a.m. Warm up. There's a group warm-up at 9.30. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll be posting the schedule here pretty soon because classes range from um, – I don't know, folkloric to hip hop to to contemporary to tap to um, Scottish Highland to like there is a range like you've never seen, That's and incredible. they're beginner to advanced levels. You know, no, today. I'm doing a one o'clock panel. You're doing a panel inside of OKC Improv. That's about teaching with inclusivity. Correct. After your panel is a uh, is a two hour film pop-up film little festival in in the in the space as well and then we have shut down the plaza district so all of 16th street from i don't remember what the two names of the streets are independence to the other side where empire is is shut down gotcha so the main stage will be in the lyric parking lot Mm -hmm. and then 16th street Uh i knew it started with an s we'll have stages on okay. the ends of the streets. So it's like um, like any plaza festival. Exactly. Except for dance. except for it's going to be dance classes and dance performances. Yeah. So then at 5 o'clock, we have... That's Lilo. Hi. <laughs> at 5 o'clock, we have a few pop-up performances. And then at 6 o'clock is Taste of OKC, which is performances in all the different genres as well. And then at 7 o'clock is Vincent teaching Smooth Criminal to everybody. And then 8 to 10, uh, Nemesis will be DJing and we're going to have a dance party. I love that. So it's a free day of dance. So there will be vendors lining the streets. Mm -hmm. There will be a Charlie Ludden will be doing uh, headshots inside of, of, they're not free, but you'll have to pay, but it'll be affordable. Uh, Headshots within OKC Improv. So it's just going to be a day celebrating Shannon, celebrating dance, celebrating the dance community. Yes. Um, And we've never shut down a district. The Plaza District has been incredible. Joel and Rachel have been nothing but supportive and incredibly welcoming to this idea. Their whole board has been on board since the beginning. So it's really great to have that support. That is so wonderful, and I'm so excited. I am healing from a broken foot. Mm -hmm. Are there classes that are accessible to people with 
less mobility or people new to dance like I've never taken dance before yeah so there are beginner level classes and there mm-hmm. are open level classes because mm-hmm. you know there are um and we're just advising the the people that maybe don't teach classes that are attended very frequently by non-dancers mm-hmm. to keep an open mind as mm-hmm. they're teaching and think of this as an introductory like kind of dance appreciation type of class yeah. So it will, there will be a range, but I think what I will say and what I've been telling people is you just, you don't know till you try. Absolutely. You got to be willing to just go out there and have a good time. Yeah. And, you know, I think if everyone's dancing, nobody's going to care. And that's the idea. We're going to dance like no one's watching. I've always wanted to say that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although we're dancing like everybody's watching. Yeah, because so. everyone's going to be there. Everyone's going to be there. Yes. Yeah. So far, we've got like a thousand people saying they're going to c- attend, which is pretty early on. And we haven't done our media push yet. So hopefully yeah. we're going to we're gonna get it going. So I'm hoping to have 10,000 people at least. That's so exciting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see And this it. will be the first one. And not the last. Not the last, because mm-hmm. we're already going to start working on some some um, funding for next time. So. That's so awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I can't wait. Well, thanks again, Hee-Chaw. Thank you. I appreciate it. You have such a great voice. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Hee-Chaw. I remember the night that we recorded was a Monday night. Mondays are always pretty energetically draining in the idea of I spend most of my school day rallying teenage students to be motivated to dance. But I remember feeling so energized after sitting down with He Cha and having this conversation. So I hope that you might experience that as well. I appreciate her talking about her immigrant experience and what it is to be an immigrant and what gifts come with that. I also appreciate her talking about the innate sensation dance brings when she talks about her grandmother moving so freely, when she talks about her own career as a performer and even that same sensation of fulfillment as she moved into becoming an educator. I love the dichotomy that is she empowers self-efficacy and independence and that is hand in hand with collective care and how when we all have that self-efficacy, we have this fortified web of care for one another and how that ripples through education to other people. I also appreciate from lessons I learned from He when she reflected on her growth from maybe things that she said in the past and how she would restate those lessons now in a more meaningful and kind fashion. Yet the the root of the lesson is still there and that is to empower authentic self and empower self-expression that is buoyed or rather rooted in an awareness of the self. I appreciate that her self-awareness to even navigate her own career means saying no to certain things that don't align to her own vision 
to the things that she's trying to accomplish. I think it's important for myself and other educators to contemplate what actually supports us and what doesn't support us so we don't have to do. And last, individuals like He Cha are such a gift to the community. And I don't know if individuals who are so giving of all of themselves, their energy, their mind, their determination to make things happen, will ever truly be fully appreciated. Yes, we all love individuals like He Cha. And I I don't think that we necessarily take her for granted. I think that maybe what I really am trying to say is no amount of money or accolades will ever be enough. But I do think what is the purest, truest form of appreciation is showing up for each other. I hope that hearing this conversation will inspire you, invite you, and encourage you to show up to the Calderon Festival on May 21st from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., whether it's just to walk through and say hello or maybe take one or all of the classes, maybe pop into the 1 p.m. educators panel that I'm doing at OKC Improv on the plaza or support a dancer that's performing. Whatever version of that showing up is for you, I hope to see you at the Calderon Festival. Thank you so much for listening and take care for now.